Thank you for listening to this podcast from Living Hope Church in Skokie, Illinois, featuring the preaching of Pastor Daniel Mann. For more information about our church, please visit us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We trust that today's message will encourage you in your relationship with God. There's a historian. His name is H.G. Wells. He's not a Christian. Uh, He's gone on record as saying that he's not a Christian, but he made a fascinating statement when he said this, I am an historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. This is just an honest Historian with integrity who says, I'm not personally a Christian, but I can't deny the fact that Jesus Christ is the most dominant central figure of all of history. We're going to look at a a simple question, but probably the most important question that any of us could ever look at. And that is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is this man named Jesus that is so polarizing um, to many and certainly known uh, by so many? And even alongside of the question, who is Jesus, connected to that question is not just who is he, but who do you believe him to be? So it's kind of a two-part question. Who is he and who do you believe him to be? Without doubt, that is certainly um, the most important question. If God's word is true, And I believe it is. I believe from beginning to end, God's word is completely and totally true and trustworthy. If God's word is true, then your eternal destiny and my eternal destiny hinges on one thing, what we believe and what we do with the person of Jesus Christ. If God's word is true, then Jesus Christ is the determining or deciding factor of our eternal destinies, our faith in Him. So last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. The week before, we talked about God the Father. And now we're concluding our study on the Trinity by talking about God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look here at Acts chapter 2. One of the most famous sermons ever preached, certainly one of the greatest sermons ever preached, uh, certainly after the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached in Matthew 5 through 7. I don't know that you could find a more important sermon than what we read here. It's the Apostle Peter preaching a message a few day, a few weeks after Jesus had risen from the dead. Look at verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. This is, again, this is about five weeks after Jesus had been crucified. Fifty days or so after Jesus had been crucified. So, so several weeks, but not too long after Jesus uh, was crucified. Verse 24, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that He should be held of it, or held by death. What a beautiful verse. Verse 25, for David, he goes back to the Old Testament. For David speaketh concerning him, that is Jesus. I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. 
Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell or in the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. It's an Old Testament prophecy of the resurrection. That God would not leave his son in the grave. That God would not allow his son to see corruption. That he would be brought again to life. Verse 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Now he gets to the application. He's talking to these Men and brethren who are Jews, he says in verse 29, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Verse 34, For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until thy foes um, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So here's our message tonight. God's word reveals to us who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me. God's Word reveals who He is and what He's done. And your response and my response to Jesus Christ is the determining factor of our eternal destinies. So we're going to answer this question tonight. What does the Bible teach about who Jesus is and what has He done? What does the Bible teach about who He is and what He's done? Let's pray together. Lord, speak to us in the few minutes that we have tonight. Teach us, Lord Jesus, about who You are about your nature, your person, your character. Teach us, Lord, about your death and suffering and teach us about your crucifixion. Guide us tonight in your word. Thank you for the time that we've been able to worship your name and pray together. And now, Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts and show us who you are and what you've done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you five truths, three tonight. Two on Sunday. Who is Jesus and what has he done? Number one, I want to talk to you about the deity of Jesus, that he is God. The deity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, he is God. He is full deity. The Bible declares basically on every page from Genesis to Revelation, it shows and reveals to us that Jesus Christ is eternal God. You can find Jesus not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As you know, you can find Jesus in every page, on every verse in the Bible. Jesus is there in some form or fashion. Jesus was in the beginning, and He will be always through the endless ages. He has been always in existence, and He will always exist 
through the endless ages. Some people are confused about this, thinking that the beginning of Jesus was in the manger, and that was the beginning of His earthly life. But Scripture is very clear that Jesus has lived from eternity past and will live on throughout all the endless ages of eternity. Jesus is fully God in every possible way. He is equal to the Father, equal to the Holy Spirit in divine attributes, in authority, and in every possible way. In fact, Philippians 2.6 tells us that Jesus was not only in the form of God, but that He was also equal to God. Hebrews 1.3 tells us uh, that Jesus is the express image of God the Father, the express image of God the Father. Jesus possesses all the divine attributes of God. He's eternal. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He is all-knowing. He is perfect and holy. He's without flaw or weakness. The Scripture tells us He's the Creator. He's the sustainer of the universe. And again, He is the express image of God the Father. There is God the Father is no greater in any way to the Lord Jesus when it comes to essential deity, when it comes to the nature of who the Lord Jesus is. The creator and sustainer of the universe, simply put, He is God. A few years ago, in fact, it was probably about a year and a half ago, I got a phone call. I didn't know who it was. I answered the phone. It was a man who had got a card from our church. Some of you maybe recently got a card from our church. He called the number and he said, I'd like to speak to the pastor. I said, well, I'm him. I'd love to talk to you. And he started asking me a couple questions. He said, do you believe that Jesus is God? I said, yes, I do. He said, the Bible never says that Jesus is God. I said, and I'm not an arguer. I wasn't looking to debate the guy, but I said, sir, I think you're mistaken. The Bible does say Jesus is God. He says, where, where? I said, well, if you look in your Bible, uh, the book of Hebrews tells us, well, let me back up. I said, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, uh, says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He said, okay, and he said, but, but I'm still not convinced. I said, well, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says this about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He said, well, I just don't, I don't, I don't think he, he really is. I said, well, Hebrews 1.8 says, but the Bible says, but unto the Son, He saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And I shared with him a couple of scripture verses. And this is what he ended up saying to me. He said, okay, okay, but Jesus Himself never said that He's God. I said, sir, you're mistaken again. I'm sorry to tell you. And I said, if you would look in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus said to those that he was preaching and teaching to, before Abraham was, I am. And I said, do you know the significance of the name I am? And it started to come, come together for him a little bit. How that back in Exodus, when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am that I am. Abraham lived thousands of years before Jesus. It was a statement of eternality, but also of deity. Before Abraham was, I am. Why did the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus? I'll tell you why they wanted to kill him. In fact, he tells us why they wanted to kill him. In John 5, verse 18, the Bible says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath or their particular rules that they thought were breaking the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You see that many times in the book of John. 
These people today who are saying, oh, Jesus never claimed he was God, they are simply mistaken. They don't understand history. Not only do they not understand scripture, they don't understand history. That's the very reason they wanted to put him to death, because he was claiming to be God. That's why they wanted him dead. C.S. Lewis, a great writer of a past generation, said there are only three options for you and I to choose when it comes to how we think about Jesus. There's only three. So you got to choose one of these three. The first is, is either he's Lord. The second is he's either a lunatic. Or third, he's a liar. Say those with me. Ready? Lord, lunatic, liar. Now we got it. Let's do it again. Lord, lunatic, liar. Those are the only three options. And this is how C.S. Lewis went on to apply it. He went on to say he's a li- if he's a liar, that means he knew he wasn't God, but deliberately went about to deceive people into thinking that he was God. The second option of lunatic is that he really was convinced he was God when he wasn't God. And the third option is, is that he really is God and went about to show and demonstrate and preach that he is God in the flesh. And C.S. Lewis went on to make this powerful point when he said, the one thing that we cannot do, he says the most ridiculous thing that we could do, is to say that Jesus is somehow merely a good moral teacher, that he is a good man. He said that option is off the table, because if he is not Lord, then he's not a good man going about telling people that he's God. So just to accept Jesus as a good moral teacher or a good man is not on the option table because he did not give us that luxury with the claims that he made. He's either Lord or a liar or a lunatic. And we have to make our choice concerning that. The Bible presents Jesus as deity. He is God. Number two, the humanity of Jesus He's a man. Jesus is fully man. You see, Jesus has always been God. Jesus will always be God. There was never a point when Jesus was anything less than God. There will never be a point when Jesus is anything less than God. But catch this, Jesus has not always been a man. He's not always been a man. There was a time in history, there is a time, a moment. The scripture says in Galatians 4, the fullness of time when God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus has not always been a man, but through the event that we know as the incarnation. Incarnation is a Latin word which means in flesh. You ever go to a Mexican restaurant and you look for something carne, right? That's flesh, right? Incarnation, in flesh. Meat, flesh and bones, right? Jesus became a man through the event that we know as the incarnation. John 1.14 tells us uh, that Jesus, uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, this is so important. Please hear me about this. Jesus did not just appear to be a man for a little time. He wasn't just pretending to be a man for 33 years. He didn't just act like a man and talk like a man and kind of put on the, uh, the persona of a human being. No, he literally took upon himself another nature. And he perfectly blended in now this divine nature with human nature. And now he is eternally the God-man. He is now fully God and fully man. He became a man without ceasing to be God. That God became a man 
without ceasing to be God is the doctrine of the incarnation that Jesus, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. He who is fully God became fully man. That's what the Scripture teaches about Jesus. You see, in John chapter 4, Jesus was on a mission. There was a woman from Samaria whose life was a mess. She had gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. And that day, she didn't know it, but she had an encounter with the Messiah. And that Jesus was, was, was going to speak to her and talk to her about having eternal life. But what I want to point out about this encounter is that before Jesus met this woman, the Bible says that he sat down at a well because he was tired. And the Bible says that he was alone because he sent his disciples to go get food because he was hungry. And you know, the first thing that he talked to the woman about was, give me some water because I'm thirsty. Jesus, tired, hungry, thirsty. You ever been tired? You been hungry? You ever been thirsty? Yeah, me too, man. I have been many times. This is Jesus in His humanity. The Bible says that in everything except for sin, Jesus experienced fully in His humanity. You know, Jesus experienced what it is to be tired, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be lonely, to be betrayed. Jesus felt physical pain. You ever gone through a rough time financially? Uh, we have uh, some people in our church that have had uh, some difficult times in the past. Uh, one friend of mine in the area has told me that there was a time he lived out of his car because he was just on such a difficult time. He didn't have the money. He was living in his car. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus didn't have a comfortable life. He never had a house. He didn't have the American dream with the nice house and the fence and the yard. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. Jesus expressed human emotions. He wept, he grieved, he even experienced death. Jesus was full humanity. A.W. Tozer said that Jesus became all that man is except sin, and in doing so, he took man or humanity into all that God is except deity. In other words, by Jesus coming to be a man, He bridged the gap, the inescapable gap between God and man, bringing us back to God through Him, through His humanity, and through His life. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 through 18 says that Jesus took upon Him flesh and blood in order that He might bring us to God, that He had to be made like unto us in order to save us and to be our substitute. And it's important for us to see that Jesus is now eternally the God-man. 2 Timothy 4 through 6 says this, uh, that God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Do you realize that for Jesus to be the mediator, the one who comes between sinful man like me, and a holy God, that Jesus, in order for Him to be the one, to bridge the gap, to take my hand and take the hand of the Father and bring us, and as we sang a minute ago, to unite us back together, He had to become a man in order to be the mediator and give Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
So we've talked about the deity of Jesus. He is God. We've talked about the humanity of Jesus, that He is man. Let me give you finally tonight the crucifixion of Jesus, that He died for me. And we could even say here He is the Lamb of God. He's God, He's man, and He is the Lamb of God. Who is this Jesus? He's the Lamb of God, the one who was crucified and slain. You know, Jesus' short life on earth, some three decades, most say about 33 years that Jesus lived on the earth. His short life, I'm 30. I was thinking about that this week when I was thinking that Jesus died, some, most believe, when he was 33. It'd be three years from where I'm at now. To think of the life, that, of the short life that Jesus lived. All of his life was building towards a climactic weekend. The weekend that's upon us now. All of Jesus' life was building. In fact, I would submit to you that all of history was building towards that climactic weekend. And all of now history since then is looking backwards toward the spotlight of that climactic weekend. That's the purpose that Jesus had come. He had come for the specific purpose of dying to pay the penalty of sin for every person. Way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, this is the very beginning of us having an understanding that God would send a Savior. We're told that Satan, or he's called in Genesis 3.15, the serpent, that his head would be crushed by the seed of the woman, and that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We look back, and now that we understand Scripture, we know that was prophetic. The bruising of the heel of the seed of the woman was the cross that Jesus went And through the cross and resurrection was the crushing of the head of the enemy. So even from the very beginning of the Bible, we see implied in what Scripture says that God would send a lamb. The central message in the Old Testament. The central message. And the reason I said you can see Jesus on every page is because the central message of the Old Testament is redemption by shed blood. It's the the sacrifice of a lamb for sin. That's why you see it in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and in the Psalms and in every book in the Old Testament. It's all pointing to the fact that mankind is sinful, that we need something and someone to pay for our sin, that it can be covered, the guilt that we have to be covered and atoned for. When the announcement was made of the birth of Jesus, the angel said, He shall call His name Jesus which means Jehovah saves. You will call His name Jesus. Why? For He shall save His people from their sins. Even from the beginning of His life, Jesus began to tell His disciples uh, that He was going to the cross. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 as we coming down the home stretch here. Matthew 16. Jesus started to tell His disciples that He was going to be crucified and buried and rise again. Matthew 16, verse 21. I believe that's page 717. Is that right, anyone who's there? Is that correct? 717, wonderful. Let's look at this verse. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go. You see that? The necessity of that? He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, 
and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned to him, that is, unto Peter, and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of men. He's saying, Peter, do you not realize this is the plan of God for me? That's why I've came. I turn to Matthew 20, just a couple chapters to the right. Matthew 20, verse 17, he gets even more specific about what's going to happen to him here. 20, Matthew 20, verse 17 says, And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. This has been the plan of God from the beginning. God's Word says the wages of sin is death. Scripture says that all you and I are sinners and that we are underneath the curse of sin and the wrath of God. Simply put, every human being has been sentenced and condemned to eternal death and hell, separation from God. And Jesus had to die. He had to die in order for you and I to be set free from that penalty and sentence of condemnation. Through the cross, the payment had to be made. There's an amazing story about a famous painter who was working, he's not a believer, but he was working on a painting of Jesus Christ on the cross. He's working tirelessly on this painting. He had a little girl sitting in the studio and every once in a while he would use her in some of his paintings. And she was watching him though paint this particular one of Jesus on the cross. And she started asking him some questions. She was so intrigued by this painting. And she said, this man must have been a very wicked man to be nailed to a cross like that. And the artist said, no, no, on the contrary, he was a very good man. He was the best man that ever lived. He died for others. The little girl looked up at him and asked him, did he die for you? Did he die for you? This artist later would give testimony that at the time he was not a believer. But isn't it amazing how God works? That the simple question of a little girl, innocent in her question, not trying to probe, not trying to witness to him, Did he die for you? He died for others. He died for others who were wicked. Did he die for you? And he said, it was as if God was just penetrating my heart with this question. I'm painting him. I believe he's a good man. So who did he die for? He came to the conviction that he died for me. And he did become a believer and put his trust in the one that he was painting. There's another story of a man who dreamed that he saw Jesus tied to a whipping post. And he was watching and the soldiers were scourging him. And uh, we don't have time to go into that. But, but I hope you do understand a little bit of, of the suffering and the physical torment that Jesus went through even before they nailed him to the cross. The scourging, the beating with the whip that had pieces of glass and bone and metal across his back, probably well over 30 times that this happened spitting and hitting him in the face and plucking his beard, mocking him. By the time he gets to the cross, 
He's already been beaten. He's already bloodied. He's already bruised. Even before he gets there, before they put the nails in his hands and his feet. And this man's having this dream. And he sees the soldiers, the soldiers scourging and whipping Jesus. He saw the whip in the hands of the soldiers. He sees the back and the side of Jesus. He said, I could see these thick lashes all over him. He said, I see the cuts in his flesh. And as the soldiers brought the whip down on the shoulders... The dreamer, he said, I I shuddered to see this happening, to see the stains of blood on him. And he said, and the soldier raised his hand to strike them again. And he said, I ran over and I had to stop this. I, I couldn't allow it to go on. I grabbed his hand. I turned him around. And when I looked at him, he said, it was me. I saw myself. I saw it was my hand. I had the whip. I was the one beating him. And I came out of the dream and I realized that he did this For me, I'm the one that put him there. I'm the one that did it. And that's what the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he that is God the Father made him that is Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Turn to Galatians chapter 3, page 860. Galatians 3. The crucifixion of Jesus. He's deity. He's God. He's the humanity of Jesus. He is man. The crucifixion of Jesus. The purpose that He came. Why? Because He's the Lamb of God. Slain for our sin. Galatians chapter 3. Look with me at verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law. Verse 10, Galatians 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham, verse 14, might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Do you get that for us? We talk about the substitutionary death of Jesus, that he died in our place. Someone might ask, What do I have to do to go to hell? How bad do I have to be to go to hell? What do I have to do to go to hell? The answer to that question is very simple. You have to do nothing. Nothing to go to hell. Nothing. The scripture tells us in, uh, I believe it's in John chapter 3 and verse 18, that we are condemned already. It's not a matter as if we will be condemned. We're right now under the condemnation of God. Well, some might say, well, okay, well, how do I get out of this condemnation? How do I get out of this penalty? Can I work my way out? Will baptism or joining a church or giving money or helping the poor or being a good person, will that get me out? The answer to that is no. What is the answer out? How can I be saved? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. You know, we have to do something that's very hard for all of us. We have to get very honest and humble before God. And we have to stop playing the card of I am the innocent one. And we have to choose God's side and say, no, God, you're right. I'm the guilty one. I'm guilty. It's so simple. But yet it's so hard because our pride just resists bowing the knee and the heart to God and saying, I am condemned. I am a criminal before your holy court. I deserve death and judgment for my sin, and I am absolutely helpless without mercy. It's that simple. But we want to find some other way. We've got to find some other way because I can't bow my knee. I can't do that. I can't admit I'm a sinner. I'm too good of a person to do that. But that's the only way, the only way to have eternal life. The penalty of my sin the penalty of your sin will be paid by someone. Either I will pay my sin debt eternally forever separated from God, or I can do what by the grace of God I did many years ago when God in His mercy showed me what Jesus Christ did for me. And I can put my trust in the one who paid my debt for me. My debt is going... Penalty will be paid either by me or by the one who died for me. Your penalty will be paid either by you or the one who died for you. And C.S. Lewis, to quote him again, said, Everyone will be exactly where they've chosen in eternity. Exactly where they've chosen, and you can't get any more fair than that. Because God has given His Son. He's given His Word. And what will your choice be? You remember at the beginning of the message, we're finished now. Remember, towards the beginning of the message, we talked about those three options on the table. Lord, liar, and lunatic. The only three. Did you know that at the cross when Jesus died, the night that Jesus died, all three of those choices were made? There's a man named Pilate. He was the Roman governor overseeing the province of Jerusalem at the time. The Jewish elders and chief priests brought a man named Jesus to him that night. He stood before the people. And he said, what, this is a wonderful question, by the way, that he asked, but he said, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? You know what the Jews said, the Jewish leaders said, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. They took the choice of believing he was a liar and said, he's committed blasphemy. Crucify him. You know what Pilate said? Pilate took the choice of lunatic. He said, why do you want this man dead? He hasn't done anything worthy of death. Remember what he asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus said, you're right in saying I'm a king. He said, don't you know I have the power to let you go? Jesus said, you only have power that my Father has given you. He said, and the time is coming when that power will be taken away from you. Pilate said, "Ah, I don't believe this man's guilty. He took water and washed his hands with it and said, whatever you want to be done, Let him be crucified, but I don't believe he's guilty. You know what Pilate really thought? This man's crazy. If he would just say, I'm I'm not a king, I'm not the king of the Jews, I'll let him go. He thought he was a lunatic. But you know what Pilate learned that day? Pilate learned that there's no such position as neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Because he made a choice. 
and his choice was to reject him. But there was one there that day that made the choice of Lord. And of the most odd places to find him, he's one of the men hanging next to Jesus on the cross. A criminal, condemned. And he said a few simple words of faith when he said, Lord, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, liar, lunatic. You see it all the night Jesus was crucified. What, 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 what's your choice? I, I'm, no, I'm by no means perfect. If you want to know the truth about that, just ask my wife. She's got plenty of material. I'm, I'm not perfect. Far from perfect. But I've made my choice. And I am forgiven. I'm saved. My debt's paid. When I stand before God, He will say, Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Enter into paradise. Why? Because I have one merciful and gracious one who paid my debt and I've made my choice. What's your choice? What do you do with Jesus? He's God, He's man, and He's the Lamb. If you committed your life to Jesus Christ today or made a spiritual decision, we'd like to know about it. Please contact us online at www.livinghopechicago.com. We hope you will join us next time for another encouraging message from God's Word.